Shalom, everyone. This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner, entitled Paul's Salvation Journey. Feel free to check out our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There you will find archived Shabbat messages as well as blog posts by my dad. Feel free to subscribe to those in the subscribe bar. Uh, and just enter your email. Uh, you'll also see links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. The soon is the day. All right, good to see everybody. You can turn this morning, still in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 26. Hope I can do this justice. You know, I told Judy, it's like, I've worked so, I don't usually, well, it just depends. There's, I've worked hard on this particular one, and it's almost like when you work so hard on a meal, you overcook it. So I, I hope I'm able to present this in such a way that's going to be cohesive, because it's all kind of, I pieced all this together this way, really, for the first time. But what I want to look at is, is Paul's testimony as he gives it in Acts 26, also kind of also labeled the salvation journey, because I think in, a, in essence, Paul lays out from telling his salvation to where he ends up with this, the salvation journey and, and, and what's involved in being a good witness, how to live out your life as a witness and, and the blessings of being a good witness of your salvation that you have in Yeshua. So I want to I want to look at that. Um, I I started to uh, share last week just in eating. Since I've been in the book of Acts, this thought hit me, and I've not heard it, read it anywhere else, so I only say that so that, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I don't know how you've been taught the book of Acts coming from your Christian perspective, but from the Christian perspective, I was bread and buttered uh, that Acts is considered a book of transition. You went from, you had the, the law, the Torah was in effect up until, you know, Yeshua died, he came and fulfilled the Torah, and so Acts is, is a progression, it's kind of that bridge to get away from the Torah and more into grace, whatever that means, you know, to where, no, you couldn't do certain things. Well, yeah, now, go, you know, can do these things. Um, and th now we go by the guideline of love, whereas in and, and Yeshua and, and in the New Testament, that's a God of love. In the, in the Old Testament, he's got a wrath and anger. And those Jews had the law because they were bad and God had to use something to, to rein them in. But now that we're in Yeshua, then we don't need that anymore. So anyway, that's how I was taught, broadly speaking, that the book of Acts is a transition to go from the Jew, the Torah, the Old Testament, the feast, the festivals, to where you see we worship now on Sunday, now Shabbat, we we don't keep the feasts, the festivals, Sabbath, and, and all that stuff. And so it just, of course, that's 
forever never quite set right. But I want to offer this up as an alternative, and I'm not going to go into it. But I, in this reading, now see that Acts is a transition book. It's trying to get the Gentiles who get grafted in away from whatever they were doing before into the Torah, not away from it. Because if you read the mindset of everything that's happening and, and how they're still going to the synagogue, they're still keeping the feasts, the festivals, and Sabbath, I'm thinking there just seems to be so much evidence to the contrary. If, if in fact it is a book of transition, it's trying to get these, these guys, these, these unclean common people that Peter had the vision about in the first place, they're going to be this big influx of them into this grouping, and this grouping is now not going to be hunkering down anymore in the cozy land. It's going to be out there everywhere. Now they're going to have to learn how to survive. And instead of saying, hey, do whatever the, as Luke says, H-E double toothpicks do, it's they're going to need guidelines. It's, all this is foreign to them, the, the feasts, the festivals, all this. You know, give them four things, you know, to focus on. They're going to be in the synagogue. They're going to hear Moses taught every Sabbath. They can learn the rest of it along the way. Right? Does that not make sense? It makes sense to me. So... And what's interesting, and, and I'm still working on a timeline on this, and I'm never good on timelines, so. But it appears to me, if I have my timing right, and again, take all this with a grain of salt, Acts, uh, anyway, when you get to the end of Acts, I, I can't give days. I'm going to mess this all up. But by the time, from the time when Paul is in prison in Rome to where he finishes the book of Acts and is his uh, book of 2 Timothy is basically his swan song. It's about eight years from when he was in prison, which was like, I think, AD 61, to when he, fin when he writes 2 Timothy and shortly dies, which I think is AD 68, 69, something like that. So there's eight years there. Well, when you come to the end of Acts, I mean, the guy is still meeting with these people talking about the commandments of Moses. You know, it, when you get to Acts 26, which is where we are, uh, he's still talking about having therefore attained help from God. I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those things which the prophets and Moses say. And we're going to read this in a minute. Well, that's the Torah. Now, if somehow we have to believe he didn't get the memo yet, and he finally gets it somewhere as he's fleshing out his theology, and he finally gets the second Timothy, and by then he's removed himself from all this. That's just crazy thinking. It's ludicrous stuff. Not ahead. Anybody, am I saying this clearly? So when you come to the book of Acts, just go through it. And, 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 uh, and what I did is I, in red, I highlight the times where it talks about the, the law or Moses or commandments. And they're just all over the place, just all over the place. And so, anyway, that's the sideline. I wanted to put, I didn't even think about sharing that until I was walking up the steps here today. So, but anyway, that's, that's a good way to look at it. And it, it kind of really dovetailed for me as I read myself through Acts chapter 26. And it's like, okay, I've been smacked up the head all through this book here. There's got to be something I'm supposed to be seeing. And it's finally, it's like, well, wait a minute. He's still talking about Moses. And we're at the end of the book. The transition's supposed to be done. No, it's just beginning.
All right, now, that's a sidelight. Uh, oh, another interesting note has nothing to do with anything. Our youngest daughter and husband and our grandson are gonna be moving in about a month from Colorado to here. So that's awesome, we're really excited about that. All right, so I wanna look at this concept of, of Paul's testimony and, and of salvation and try to link it into you wherever you are. And first off, Question yourself, are you saved? Have you ever been born again? Have you ever been washed in the blood of Yeshua? Do you know your sins are forgiven? Do you know that the Holy Spirit resides within you? Do you know that you pass from death into life because you love the brethren? You know, the, the, the evidences that, that are, 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 are laid out in Scripture that you know you've actually been born again. You've had the new birth. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You know, is that your testimony where there was some point where you didn't know Yeshua, God in his sovereignty, like I think he did with Paul, we'll get to it if I ever get there, in a moment in time makes initial contact, then you made that decision as Paul did, oh, who art thou, Lord? And, and, and you see your need for salvation and that Yeshua is the one to pay for the penalty of your sins and you know you don't have them and you know that the God of eternity is just anchored in on your heart and he's doing eternal business with you and you meet him face to face. That's what happened to Paul. Now, it's not all going to be as drastic as Paul and I've, it's not even going to be as drastic as mine for most of you. But it has to be a, a point in time somewhere to where you have been able to if necessary, put all the evidence together and in, in your own mind of a court of law, you say, you can prove to yourself in the scripture, yes, I am saved. Or does the evidence of scripture say, hmm, we better look into this a little bit. Well, Paul has this unique opportunity in Acts chapter 26 to give his testimony to, in front of some powerful bigwigs. And he does a wonderful job at it. So what I want to do is, is read through this chapter. And I'll give you my outline after that, and then we'll just see how this plays out. All right, so Acts chapter 26. says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God, day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft in 
every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? <clears throat> and he said, I am Yeshua, whom thou persecutest. But rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them at Damascus, of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do work meet, for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Messiah should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Such learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, O most, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice and they that sat with him and when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, ah, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Great chapter, isn't it? I just love the boldness that Paul had to speak forth the truth. And we're going to need that boldness, folks. It's, it's coming. We're not going to be able to just be mealy-mouthed, wimpy people anymore when it comes to our faith and standing up for our faith because I'll never get through any of this. It doesn't matter. What, our faith now is, is more so in our country constantly and openly challenged, mocked, ridiculed, spoken against, lived against. 
we're going to have to start speaking up more than we're accustomed to, perhaps. To not just say, good, I made it through that conversation they were having, and boy, I just, you know, I got out of there. That's great. Rather than say, it's time to start saying something. Something. If you don't know what to say, just open your mouth and start talking and trust that God will give you the words to say what needs to be said. Now, I'm not saying be belligerent. I'm not saying you have to be argumentative. Be as wise as serpent and harmless as doves. Be meek. Answer all men with meekness for the hope that is within you. Have a humility, a brokenness. And start saying, well, wait a minute. Now, I don't know where you are, but this has been somewhat, I feel like I'm out of shape physically. You ever, you know, start, you want to get in shape or start exercising, you're going to, you know, you go buy all the jogging clothes, the latest, greatest shoes, and you're going to get out there and go jog a mile. And, you've not, you, man, you think you've gone to like three quarters of a mile, it's been about an eighth. And you're just like, oh, man. You know, we're out of shape. I'm out of shape. We've got to get ready for the battle. And so Paul had this boldness because of everything he went through, his salvation, through what he just talked about, and the hope that he had for the future, it gave him this unique boldness to be able to talk to pretty much anybody, wherever they were, any station in life, political position, religious persuasion, whatever it was. It's amazing. So we all, if we're saved, have a personal testimony that is unique to each one of us. Mine's different than yours. But if you're saved, you have the ability to place yourself in Acts 26, verbalizing you and where you came from, where you were, are, where you're headed in, in, in your life, uh, future life, and then eternity. It's all right here. If you're saved, and that's the biggest thing that you have to, to, to get settled in your heart. Are you born again? Have you been washed blood? Everything I've already said, which I end up saying 14 times over. Now, I've, I've tried to split this chapter up, and I want to remember to come back to something like this. And this is where it gets a little messy. So don't, you know, as I say, my, my outlines are just mine. They're not etched in stone. But I think there's three aspects of Paul's personal testimony, which would correlate to ours. There's his past experiences, that's verses 1 through 18. His present example, verse 20 and 21. And then his future expectation, 22 through 23. And that's primarily uh, what I want to cover, those 23 verses. So we have uh, Paul's past experience, verses 1 through 18. His present example, verse 20 and 21. And his future expectation, verse 22 through 23. Uh, just as a little commercial, it just so happens my last blog that I put out and is up now deals with almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So if you'd like to read that, you know, it kind of goes along with this. I thought about reading it, but we'd never get out of here. So uh, anyway, that's my, my latest blog. So now, given, a tes- given your testimony, I'm just going to talk. We'll see where we end up. So when I got saved... It was 1973. It was still that hippie generation love. You know, it was kind of winding down, but I had been, you know, right in pretty much the heart of it, 69 through 73. 
And so I got saved and, and the church I went to, which is a fairly good sized church for the time in New England, had over 200 people. So in 73 in New England, that was pretty good size. And um, so I ended up getting saved through that ministry. I won't go into the whole story, but uh, because of that ministry, I ended up coming to Messiah, coming to Christ and, and, and was saved. Um, so while well, I was kind of a big fish, and so I was, and this is kind of my blog, so I'm going to, in a nutshell, you know, I was kind of, in my way, paraded in front of the congregation several times to get up behind a pulpit and give my testimony, uh, which I did. And actually, it took me a while to realize that I was, uh, this wrong way to put it, but being used. Um, and also, our church had a live Sunday morning worship service over the radio, which back again, 1973, you know, live, and we had actually a studio right there in, in the church as well, where he, we did the daily live broadcast. And so, you know, my grandmother would listen, and my mom, when she knew I was going to be getting up there to say something, she'd listen. So, this, I don't know if this will be necessarily helpful to anybody, but what happened was I, I had gotten saved. I went home, told my parents. They knew all the drugs I was doing, everything I was into. My mom crying with me over it. My dad just telling me how much I'm breaking my mother's heart. And I come home and they knew what I was doing and told them I got saved. And it was like, da 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 you know, nothing. And so I tried that for a few weeks, and, and finally my mom said, you know, Tip, that's, that's my nickname, Nick, Tip, Tippy. Tip, that was good for you. You needed it. And I, what, I thought, what does that mean? I need it. Don't you need it? How come you don't need it? What's wrong with me? Why did I need it and you don't? And so continued to try to witness more to my mom. My dad, I only had, only had one opportunity because... And it was a good one to share with him. But my mom, we'd have conversations. And one day she, we went out to eat and over the table eating. She was just really being drawn in. She was like a sponge. And you could see, I was telling my wife this morning, even her countenance had changed from what it normally was. You know, you can understand that, right? It went from the hardness to something's happening there. I don't want to say there was a glow, but, there, you know. And we had a great talk, and I thought for sure she was going to respond, good questions, just bearing her heart like, you know, she never does. But then somewhere along the line, it dawned on her, because I had done it so often, whoa, what if I get saved? They're going to want me to get up there and tell the whole church and go on the radio and tell everybody all the sins that I did and, and what I came from. And you could see, she went from wide open to closing down. I said, Mom, I can promise you, you're never going to have to do that. You don't have to do that. But the very potential of that, the pressure that she thought might come upon her, based upon what I didn't know until many, 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 many years later, what held them back? Like I told you, my parents never set foot in church, liberal, bad, good, other than funerals and weddings. We never went to church as a family, ever. Um, and so she was afraid. I don't want to have to tell everybody. And it closed down. 
I was also at the same time working with a, a kid in our, our youth group during the summer in the job. I think it was setting up tents, I can't remember. And we spent a lot of time talking in the truck while we drove. And he was a good kid in the youth group. And then all of a sudden, I'm starting to notice, you know how you can tell when a good kid's turning bad or starting to go down that path? It's just everything changes. You can see it in their face. I, I can read people's face. I can see things in people's eyes. And I could tell something is really up here because there's just enough of a shift. And I said, Brad, what is going on with you? I said, you know, from what I gather, you're kind of just going down, starting down the same path that I just got saved from. So why would you even want to do that? And he said, well, that's just it. You did all that stuff and you came out all right. I want to experience that too. And I was just devastated because what had happened was my testimony got glamorized, glorified. And, and, and I'm sure it had positive effect, but the, the emphasis was on the wrong syllable. You know, it should have been somehow different. So we, all that, that's the negative side. There's plenty of positives. But all that to say, you have a testimony. But given the circumstances, you don't, every... You, you do, like Paul, have the wisdom to know who your audience is, whom you're talking to, what to say, what not to say, how much to share, what will work, what is their need. Read them, understand them, see where they are. And sometimes you just need a sprinkling. Other times you're going to get out a squirt gun. Other times you're going to get out a, 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 a lawn hose. Sometimes you're going to have to blast them with a fire hose. But you don't hit them with a fire hose right away. So Paul... He gives his, his testimony, and I, I kind of want to work through this, and I think it's really interesting. So first off, um, Paul has some past experiences, and, and I think it's very significant for myself because, and we're not going to read through all of this, but in verses 1 through 8, he talks about his religious past, and primarily that's verses 4 and 5, and these are the highlights I want to draw out that might be useful for you as we go through this. He, he, he makes this personal. He talks about his religious past. And that's a good starting point. If you grew up in a church or if you grew up in a religion or if you got saved out of some religious past, that's a wonderful uh, uh, avenue from which to, to launch from, as a platform to, to help certain people. So he says, my manner of, verse 4, life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own uh, nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that I grew up Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, you know, whatever it was. You, if, you, if you grew up in a religious tradition and you were lost, the Catholic Church, whatever it is, if, if, you, if you came up, I don't care if it's a gospel preaching one or it's not a gospel preaching one. If you came through all of that to salvation, this is kind of like what Paul's talking about. I grew up as a, as a strict sect of our religion. I lived a Pharisee. And that's his launching point. And it's really interesting between the fact that there's a, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, hey, I'm, for the hope of the resurrection, I'm called in question here. And, and the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, whereas the Sadducees did not. And that's why I'm saying being able to tailor your, the, the, the aspects of your, your, your salvation that will be beneficial and applicable. So he starts out by talking, saying, here's my religious past. But we find out that he entered a period of rebellion. And that's verses 9 through 14, but it kind of comes out in verses 13 through 14. 
He says, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, here's his rebellion. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or the goad. To me, I've always taken it as he's already to some degree under conviction. And God now is going to circle in on that. And God, in essence, calls his hands. I know you're fighting me. You're, you're, you're like the ox prick, uh, fighting against the goad. You don't want to go and you need to be pricked and prodded to get moving. And that's what I'm doing here now for you, Paul. And, and this, what I think is going on here, um, and whether this matters or not, but I, I, this is how I see it. And I've had too much sci-fi in my head, probably. But verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw in... Uh, in the way, a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. Now, I see this as like the Shekinah glory in, or that, result, that was over the tabernacle that I've always seen it as like this conduit where God, however this works, makes contact through this Shekinah glory. Well, I always see it in my mind where the, the alien extraterrestrial ship is up in the sky and all of a sudden it goes, and the person that they want to abduct is like this beam of light comes down and, and circles them. And all of a sudden they're out of time and they're being taken up and all time stands still. There's no time. They're in this other realm, this other dimension. I kind, this is how I view it. Because, and this is the reality of salvation. And this is important because when a person is getting, I knew in the back of my grandfather's van that God, I didn't know this, that God Almighty was reaching down in a moment of time and we were doing business right then. I knew that. Well, I didn't see any kind of glory or I wasn't encapsulated in some circle. But I think this is important for Paul to see because he's grown up in all this. He knows about the Shekinah glory. He knows about how God makes contact through this beam of light. And these other guys do too. And so in this moment of time, God, much like Paul, who is his very knowledgeable in all this, if I would be transported to that in my imagery mind, I'm sure Paul must have, hey, what is going on here? You know? But that's salvation, folks. God steps out of where he is, reaches into the time of your life, in a moment in time, and you know it. So, Anyway, whatever that has to do. So that's his period of rebellion. Then it goes into, to, and we're still in the first part, his past experience, his religious past, his rebellion against God. But now God brings it to his understanding. And I'm saying by means of Revelation, verse 15 and 18. So, you know, hey, why you persecute me? It's hard to kick against the ghost. Now God is going to reveal himself to him. We're, this is salvation stuff happening here. Uh, verse 15, and I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Yeshua, whom you're persecuting. Whoa! 
That's a big revelation. All the time he thought he was doing the right thing, serving God, going around persecuting and killing these Christians who followed this Jesus Yeshua guy. Now all of a sudden he, whoa! Oh, I didn't, all this time? And so, uh, but rise, 16, and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of those things which thou hast seen and of those things into which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Now, so the first part is, is the revelation of, from God to Paul about himself. Now God is revealing his purpose to Paul going forward. So I'm delivering you from the people, Gentiles, and, and from the people. Why? They need a revelation too. They need to see stuff. And they can't. They're blind. So Paul, you are going to be used by me to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Pray, whoo! That is so good. And you know what? If you're saved, that's your, math, uh, your, your, um, your calling, your mandate. I, I've, I've said before, you know, you've seen those things, the stupid TV show, The Walking Dead. Well, I've said before over and over, we have to, and, and I don't always do this myself, it just doesn't dawn. But we have to realize that we are walking amongst the walking dead. Paul said, you are dead in trespasses and sin. Here, God is saying, their eyes are closed. They're in darkness. They're not in light. They're under the power of Satan, not under the power of God. They need to be translated from that. And this is an incredible verse. I've used it many times at witnessing to people, especially to those that don't see their need or they've had a religious past or they're good people. You know, I, I, I keep the Ten Commandments, you know, which is, you know, you never go down the beginning of that path because nobody does. But, you know, so, oh, yeah, all right, but your eyes are closed. You're in darkness under the power of Satan. There's a whole lot in there that... The average person in our country is, has, is totally ignorant of it because we've gone so far from a religious heritage in our country that, what do you mean? I'm in darkness and, and my eyes are closed and I'm under the power of Satan. How dare you? I mean, I don't know if you have to say all that, but you at least have to be equipped in your mind that that's what's going on. That's the, the battlefield you're entering into. These are people who, who haven't seen, can't see, they are uh, in darkness, and they are under the power of Satan. You have your, we have our work cut out for us. You, we can't go against Satan. This is an incredible foe we have that we're doing wrestling, that we're wrestling against. You know, he's the guy that had Yeshua up on the pinnacle saying, and evidently in a moment of time showed him all the kingdoms of heaven and said, uh, kingdoms of earth said, hey, you can have them all. All I need you to do is just bow down and worship me. Uh, I'm maybe too much of a literalist, but, you know, 
it sounds to me Satan can work in time, out of time. I mean, how do you show all the kings of the world in a moment of time? I mean, if you watch sci-fi, they can do all this stuff on the, the fancy space alien ships they have. You know, so, but you're talking a lot of power here. If, I mean, you shouldn't say, you can't call my bluff. You, you know what? You can't do that. You, you don't have the power for that. There was no argument. You shouldn't knock him down. He didn't call his bluff. So he didn't say, show me your cards or fold. We're dealing with some mighty strong powers. And I'm telling you, the strongest or the, the, the most efficient avenue that Satan has is that religious good person. You know, because, well, look at them. They're religious. They go to church. They may carry a Bible. You know, they, they, they say grace over their meals. You know, they're good people. Well, folks, there's none good. No, not one. There's none righteous. Read Romans. He says they're just sepulchers emitting garbage before a holy God. So he has this revelation. This is what you need, Paul, and this is what they need. Now, it gets to him as his present, that Paul's going to be a, a present example. Um, in bringing others to repentance and the coming battle of the resistance you're going to face from others. So in other words, Paul, here's, here's, here's where you are right now. His present example. And that's verse uh, 20 and 21. Uh, which is, well, let's start 19. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. So here you have Paul's present example for us, meaning, um, which is verse 20, uh, show first in Damascus and all that, then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So the first aspect of our present experience after salvation is to bring this gospel to others, to bring this news to others, to tell others about Yeshua, um, and to, to, to put ourselves in a position to where we're willing to really say the hard truth. You, there's, no, there's no gospel message if you don't talk about Repentance. Repentance. From a biblical mindset, not just saying, oh yes, you, you have some mud splattered up on you, but before a holy God, you are unclean from the crown of your head to the sole of your foot. There's nothing within you but wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. You are just filthy before me. You need repentance. You know, I'm saddened by our pulpits. I, when I got saved, we were still preaching regularly, openly, about the need of repentance. Now everything's okay. What does anybody need to repent from? There is no sin anymore. There's no, nothing sin. Nothing is sin. Yeah, it is. See, were our jobs harder now? We, we have this tidal wave coming at us that says, I'm okay, you're okay, everything's okay, there's no right, there's no wrong, it's whatever, blah, blah, blah. No repentance. 
And then the evidence of this repentance is there's a turning toward God and where it says do works meet for repentance. This simply means you live your new life signifying the changes that have happened in you. I mean, when I got saved, there were some things that just fell right off and it was obvious to everybody who knew me. Some things kind of fell off along the way and some stuff's just not gone away yet. But anybody, my mom and dad knew, whoa, something has happened here beyond explanation. Why? I, there were works meet for repentance. What do you mean you're going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night? It was on the other side of the river. It was, it was about a half hour away. And then you're going on Wednesday night too? And then, what do you mean? You're driving a, 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 a Sunday school bus? And, and you're going out on a Saturday soul winning visitation? Where's this coming from? I mean, it was almost like, why don't you just go back and smoke dope with your friends in the car? I was much more comfortable with that. I never said that, but that was kind of like, you know, what's the other alternative, mom and dad? Well, they saw a change. It just happened. And then, when you get into this, I mean, you, you've had your, uh, your religious past, you, you've dealt with that rebellion, God brings you to a point of revelation, which encapsulates this period of repentance, and now your responsibility is to go out and bring what happened to you to others so that they can come to repentance, but... You would think everybody would say, wow, look at what the Apostle Paul, look at him. You can, can, I don't even recognize the guy anymore. Look at his face. It's not so drawn and heavy in that darkness that was there. There's actually a sparkle in his eye and it seems to be a lilt in his walk and his shoulders are up. And Wow, what happened to this guy? This ought to be great. Paul, tell us, tell us. That's what you would think, right? That's what I thought. Well, you hit resistance. You know, and how I, maybe we, can be so blind. You should have said, there's going to be resistance. If you come to me, you're going to have to take up your cross and they die, die daily. You know what? You might lose mother, father, brother, sister, wife, houses, lands for my sake. Well, I ain't going to preach these days. Nothing costs anything for us. We have it all. As a matter of fact, God made it so good for us, we can just serve him and have our cake and eat it too, quote unquote. No, there's going to be resistance. Then that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You go through the Beatitudes, and it's all wonderful. You get to those ending verses of that section. It's about talking about persecution. You know, the word uh, persecute, where Stephen's getting killed, I'm just off the top of my head, but it's the word martyr. To be a, a witness. The word witness is, is the word martyr. It doesn't mean you always have to die, but there's aspects that die along the way of our life. To be a witness is to be a martyr. That's the word. So you get resistance from others. Verse 21. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. All right. We're, getting, we're at the last point. Not so bad, right? All right. So, so we go from Paul's past experience of being lost, though religious, to his present example, repentance. He's doing works meet for repentance. His life has changed. Now he's to bring that message to others. But while you, he's doing that, you're going to meet resistance. Not everybody's going to be happy. 
It's just like, who, who was it where Paul, that, that girl that was following after them, and um, she was involved in, in witchcraft and all that stuff, and, and Paul, after a while, just gets fed up with it and turns around and casts out the demons. You know, you think everybody would be happy? No, no. This girl got saved, this woman got saved from this lucrative thing. She was, she was making good money for everybody else connected with her. Well, those guys aren't happy. Those people, when the pigs went, 2,000 or whatever it was, squealing down, everybody would say, hey, wow, that is so cool. You got the demons out of that guy? We see how many, boy, he was in bad shape. Look at all the pigs that just went down in the water. Wow, we want that too. Nope. So that's the resistance. So what keeps us going? What keeps us going to the end? Not everybody makes it to the end, number one. He that endures to the end shall be saved. We have the, 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 the parable of the different soils. Pretty hard to tell some of that apart. Only time and only those that make it to the end will be saved because Satan comes along and, and this imagery is so, I've told you many times, so, so vivid for me because my, I worked on my aunt's farm for so many years. You know, they, they'd sow the seed or they, they'd have the spreader machine thing to do it and some would fall along the hardened path. Well, the birds would come right along and first thing they do is gobble that stuff. Satan comes along and snatches the seed out of the person's heart. You know what? Well, not everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So what keeps the faithful going to the end? That doesn't mean, it's like, oh yeah, sign me up to get killed. I'll, I'll go first. I'm not saying that. What I'm talking about is that, that tried and proven life, up until that point, God says, time's up for those that stay faithful even unto death those that actually do lose mother father brother sister husband wife lands those that are not in the first half of hebrews 11 but those that are in the second half of hebrews 11 Sign me up to be in the first half of Hebrew 11. Yeah, man, life, wives receiving their dead husbands. This is great. This is glorious. These other poor schmucks having to live in dens and caves and being dressed with animal skins. They're dying all over the place. They don't have enough food to eat. What kept them going? Ah, well, I think it's verses 22 and 23. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great. Saying nothing else other than those things which are in the prophets and in the Torah did say should come. That Messiah should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. If we only have hope in this life, as Paul said, we are of all men most miserable. Who in their right mind wants to do any of this? Yeah, it was bad enough we got saved and went through what we went through. Now we're stupid enough to get into this Hebraic group messianic movement. 
I mean, who's stupid? Stupid. We're stupid. We are above all the most stupid. Not really. You know what I'm saying. I'm emphasizing a point. Well, what keeps us going? You know, we've lost not only what we lost from the world and salvation, but now we've become these crazy messianic people. And now we've, uh, our, our, you know, I got saved. I was of the world. Then uh, had my family, got, got saved, lost that world. My friends lost my family. Then I went off to a, a Baptist, strongly Baptist college. That narrowed it down. Then I went into the ministry as an independent fundamental Baptist. And then, you know, if you go through the whole translation, it, it just seems like it gets narrower and narrower. And when you think it could have gotten no smaller, now you're messianic. <laughs> What's going to keep us going? Because we're the ones that are going to really start having to be okay with standing alone. You know, except maybe our own immediate families. You know, for you, those of you that have a wife or children that are on board with this, you're blessed. You know, I have a wife that's just been right on board from the get-go. Uh, willing to follow me through one more crazy excursion. You know, we have three of our kids that or in, in their families in the Messianic movement, the one that's moving up here, our youngest, they're, they're Hebraic. But we still have two other kids, but they're Christian, and I'm thrilled to death with that. I'm not going to argue this stuff anymore. I've told them, I said, you know what? This is how I said, you don't even want to begin to think about getting in this where we are right now, unless God is doing a supernatural. I'm not even going to try to convince you. I'm not even going to try to persuade you. I'm not even going to give you all the wonderful stuff. I'm not even going to begin to try to bring you over to this side. I'm talking to saved people, my, 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 my kids and their families. Unless God is really doing something in your heart and you actually now come with the questions, not questioning. There's a difference. I just don't I ask questions. I always say, no, you're not asking questions. I have no problem with those. You are questioning. There's a big difference. And so, um, anyway, so here we are in this Messianic movement. You know, if, if you have Messianic family members and Christian family members, just, just don't fight any battles there. Just leave it alone. You're blessed. As much as the Messianic movement is trashed, Christianity, I'm talking the born-again people, it's unnecessary, folks. I've argued from day one since I came into this Messianic movement, ignorant. What do you mean? They're my brother and sister in Christ as well. Yeah, but they don't keep the Torah. Well, what do you mean? What parts of the Torah? Well, they don't keep the Sabbath. They don't wear the stupid strings. You know, they, 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 they're, they're going out and eating bacon. You mean that's all there is to it? Well, what about all the other things they're doing right? We don't even give them credit for that. And on top of that, you think you're better than Moody, Spurgeon, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, George Mueller? Ha, <sighs> don't talk to me. So what keeps us going? Immersing ourselves in this book, letting God constantly... And what he's going to transform us into the image of his dear sons. Realize there's still more of yourself that needs to be just thrown off and dropped off. And you, there's still the flesh that you need to die to. 
and allow God to just rip your heart apart every day and take a scalpel and start taking stuff out. Because of not do that is to delude yourself. And you're headed for a downfall. Let God take you to the woodshed in his word every day. Sound like Lester Roloff. Gosh. So that's the negatives. So what keeps us going? If in this life we only had hope, we are idiots. What keeps us going? What kept Paul going? That one day we're going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. That resurrected Yeshua that, that gave proof of this afterlife and the resurrection from the dead, that's ours. If we're in Yeshua, that's ours. I don't know how it's going to work, but I don't even know if there's going to be a blink from when we transpire to we're there. <laughs> wow. That is, today you'll be with me in paradise. Hmm, cool. <laughs> wow. Hey, you were right. Here I am. I told you so. And this idea of paradise I shared with you, the, the uh, rabbinic scholars and, and evidently going back a long time always connect this idea of paradise or Abraham's bosom with the Garden of Eden. And that got me over a big hurdle. I don't want to live in streets of gold, I've told you. The last thing I want to do is walk down the streets of any city. And hear what I'm saying. I, I'm going to be glad to be in New Jerusalem. But if that's all there is, and I'm not going to hear a bubbling brook or something, something, or a nice tree or birds chirping, you know, whatever, how wrong or right I am in this, but to think it's going to be like, hmm, Garden of Eden, cool, I can handle that. You know, to just think, wow, I'll be with Yeshua in paradise. That's what keeps us going, the resurrection. And we have hope because he did it. He did it. And because he did, it's ours and him. So anyway, that's Paul's testimony. His past experience, religious, rebellious, a revelation that God brings him to see his need. His present example, oh, I repented. I have to bring others to repentance. But wait a minute, there's going to be resistance. What's going to keep me going? Future expectation, point three. Resurrection. One day you're going to be with him. That's, that's our testimony in a nutshell, folks from past, present, near future to eternity. We have something good to share. We have something good to share. Just share it. Lead the results with God. Charles Stanley has said, how, how did he say that? Uh, do right and lead the results with God or something like that. Just, just obey, obey God and lead the results with him. Just, just obey God and lead the results with God. We cannot bring anybody to salvation. As I wrote in my blog, unless God sets the hook, we cannot draw the catch into the boat. We are not going to be able to persuade everybody. Paul couldn't persuade those that he was talking to. I couldn't evidently persuade my family members. You're not going to be able to persuade everybody. And I'm telling you, I wrote my blog, that one thing that keeps me from going insane is that I am not responsible ultimately for the eternal destiny of my mom and dad and the rest of my family members if they're not in heaven. And I don't know how to deal with that. I just don't know how to deal with that. 
Why this is so potent for me now is because my mother dead a few years going on now. My dad, you know, almost thou persuadest me. You have to read my book. I couldn't do it. He, he says, you're trying to persuade me, Paul? Gosh. Eternal destiny. You do what God has called you to do the best you can. You share your heart from a loving platform, non-judgmental. And if your mom and dad's not in heaven, I, I hope this comforts you. Because it's the only hope that I have that I serve a just, just God. Shall not, Genesis, the God of all the earth do right. Yeah, but what if, the, if there's 50, 40, what about just a handful of righteous? The God of all the earth shall do right. The judge of all the earth shall do right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, for ministering to me, it just revitalized me again. Especially to see this aspect that, you know, up till six years before Paul's going to expire, he's still talking about Moses, the commandments, the Torah. I find that so encouraging. And, and, and the fact that you had a purpose for my life, which is still unfolding before me, just like anybody else that was saved, just like for Paul. And we have a message to give. And we have a Savior that blazed a trail for us in his life and in his death. And because of him, we have hope beyond this life. And though it might not always be what all the, the, the TV ministries make it out to be falsely, I think. No matter first part of Hebrews 11 or second part, Father, you're in charge of both. And you need both. We need to be willing to be on either side of that chapter. Why? Because either way, our hope is still, our future expectation is to be with you. So, Father, we look forward to that and thank you for that. If anybody's here today or, or ever going to listen to this who's not saved, kind of take out the me element of it and take the truth of your word and try to penetrate, Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that darkness, that blindness, that hardness that is there that only you can penetrate through. Give them that revelation of yourself. Meet with them in that moment of time. Show them what Yeshua did for them on that cross and draw them to yourself. For the rest of us, keep working on us, God. Don't give up. Conform us in Yeshua's name. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors around.